Well, man, I'm so grateful for the plan of God that he came looking for people like us because he longs to have a relationship with all of us. Happy Easter to everybody. It's so great to be with you this weekend. Uh, We are alive because he is alive and so grateful for Jesus. Like we just sang, his name is power, his name is healing, his name is life. And if you're new to Northside, man, can't tell you how honored we are that you would show up here today, this weekend. So grateful for you. And if you're joining us online or maybe you're in the West Auditorium, super grateful for you as well. Thanks for being here. And if you call this place home, man, can't tell you enough how grateful we are for all of you. And so many people have been serving way beyond uh, this weekend to make this weekend happen. So thanks for doing that. And I've been praying that God would just flood all of our our hearts uh, with a living hope today. Uh, by the way, my name is uh, Mike Bro, and I get to show up here from time to time and teach. I'm, I'm kind of like that stray dog you fed one time, he keeps showing up on your porch. That's me. But I love this place, and uh, it's so much fun uh, for me to be with you th- this weekend. And uh, today, I-, I brought my box with me. Uh, this box I keep in the bed of my truck. I take this box everywhere I go. I'm never without this thing. And as you can see, this is my, uh, this is my box of failures. I just need to be reminded of what a screw-up I am. I haven't looked in here in a while, but let me see what we got. Uh, man, this is, this is an antique. This, my very first baseball glove when I was a little kid. Very first glove, and I keep it to remind me uh, of that ground ball I let go through my legs. It rolled all the way to the fence, and they scored the winning run. That's why I hang on to that. Uh, this was, oh man, <laughs> this was my third grade spelling test. Uh, oh man, this is this is kind of this is a recent one. Um, I, I love to do uh, construction stuff, remodeling stuff. I, I'm a wannabe carpenter guy, and and uh, I just I, I had I had one board left, just one board left, and I and I and I cut it way too short. Uh, so I keep this to remind myself what an idiot I am. Uh, I was on a diet for a while until I found these uh, golden Oreo things. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know some, some of you guys are golfers. Some of y'all love to play, play golf. Anybody got a hole-in-one before? You, know, you keep your golf ball if you get a hole-in-one. This is a quadruple bogey. <laughs> I, I pulled it out of a lake. Oh, uh, man. Oh, gosh. This is embarrassing. This, <laughs> this is the very first sermon I ever turned in in seminary. This was last week's. Um, oh, I mean, wouldn't this, this is ridiculous, Right? Right? Can we just do a little quick survey here? And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand when I'm, when I'm through with this entire list. Please don't raise your hand until we're completely through. Then I'm going to ask for a show of hands. If you have ever bombed a test or flunked a class, if you've ever been cut from a team, if you've ever really messed up an audition, if you zoned out during an important job interview, if you've ever been rejected for a date, ever been fired from a job or you crashed your diet, if your business did not go the way you planned and it tanked, if you had 30 days sober and then you relapsed, if you filled out a March Madness bracket this year, <laughs> if you ever lost your cool with a three-year-old, if you've ever experienced a moral, relational, social, athletic, academic, vocational, financial failure of any kind, just raise your hand right now. Ooh, a bunch of losers, wow. <laughs> You know how, no matter how good we all look, every one of us, right, we're in the same boat. All of us have wrestled to some degree with failure. We all got some junk in our past. 
Problem is, we really do kind of carry it around with us. We can't, can't let it go. Well, the good news of Easter is there is a perfect God who meets imperfect people just like us right where we are, and he gives us hope. And the hope that he gives us is not a wishful thinking, I hope so kind of hope. It's a rock solid, fresh start, clean slate, second chance, rise up from the ashes kind of hope. You know, I've said it a bunch, but there, there's, a, there's a lot of things in life that are way overrated. Uh, teams get overrated, movies get overrated, restaurants get overrated, vacation destinations get overrated, car models get overrated. Lots of things in life are overrated, but hope's not one of them. Hope's not one of them. And as you might imagine, the Bible is full of hope. And the Bible is also full of people who really needed hope. I'm talking page after page of people like you and me, strong people who blew it courageous people who wilted under pressure, faithful people who were at times less than faithful, people who wrecked relationships, people who cheated their families, dishonored their friends, broke their promises, really disappointed God, people who thought they were washed up, had gone too far, have really done it this time, people who thought, I'm never going to recover from this. People like us. One of those people was a, was a guy named Peter. You might have heard of him. His name was actually Simon. Jesus gave him the name Petros, Peter, which means the rock or, or rocky. Before there was Dwayne Johnson, before there was Sylvester Stallone, there was Petros. And everything we know about this professional fisherman suggests he was a man of great strength, a big, broad-shouldered dude, calloused hands, outdoor face, rugged and ripped. I think, uh, think like George Ross with sandals, or, or, may, or maybe not. But, but Peter was a really good guy with a really good heart, but he was also impulsive and loud and brash and strong-willed and prideful and opinionated, and usually the first one to stand up and blurt out that opinion. On one occasion, Jesus asked the 12 guys, listen, guys, people, people are saying all kinds of things about me, but who do you say that I am? Well, Peter doesn't like do a public opinion poll. He doesn't conduct a focus group. He doesn't wait for somebody else to answer. He's like that kid in the front row at school that every teacher ignores. Oh, 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 oh. Peter just stands up and blurts it out. I'll tell you who you are. I got the answer. You are the Christ. You are the promised Messiah. You, you are the son of the living God. That's who you are. And Jesus smiles and says, you're so blessed, Rocky. And on this rock-solid truth of what you just said, I'm going to build my church. Peter was the rock, man, strong, committed, loyal, dependable, tough, courageous. At least he thought he was. Some of you know the story. It would have been about 2,000 years ago this past Thursday that Jesus and the guys had just finished their last meal together in a borrowed up, upstairs room. And then minus Judas... Uh, they go out to a ridge on the east side of Jerusalem called the Mount of Olives. And it's there that Jesus says to the remaining 11 disciples, this very night, all of you are going to fall away on account of what's going to happen to me. And Peter, in his prideful self-confidence, thumps his chest and says, not a chance. Even if all of them fall away, I won't run. I won't bail on you. These other guys might because they're like weak, but I'm, I'm the rock. You gave me that name yourself. And Jesus says, listen, here's the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. 
you'll have a chance to stand up for me, but you're going to deny even knowing me. And Peter gets super defensive and says, there's no way. There's no way. I, even if I have to die for you, I would never, I would never, ever disown you. I think the toughest failures in life to get over are the ones we pridefully declare would never happen to us. That's why I find this verse such a good reminder. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anybody else. It's just saying, if you think you're so strong that you would never fall, that you would never blow it, that you, you, would, never, you would never break your marriage vows, you would never make a shady business deal, you would never relapse, you would never disappoint your kids, you would never lie to your parents to cover your tracks, you would never turn your back on a friend, you would never take a spiritual nosedive. It's saying that you're naive. And in your prideful self-confidence, you're actually in more danger of all that happening than people who believe it actually is possible. That's what makes the Titanic one of the most famous failures in history. The visionaries, creators, engineers of this incredible luxury liner were certain that this was one ship that would never sink. 26,000 ton hull was believed to be indestructible. As it left port for its fateful voyage, a passenger Mrs. Albert Caldwell asked a deckhand, is this ship really unsinkable? The crew member replies, lady, God himself couldn't sink this ship. So no one could have imagined the nightmare when on this maiden voyage, this unsinkable ship plunged to the bottom of the North Atlantic at 2.20 a.m. on April 15, 1912, taking 1,500 passengers and the crew to their death. The most staggering failures in life are the ones you thought would never happen to the unsinkable you. And when they do, you're left to wonder if you'll ever resurface again. And that's how we find Peter after the crucifixion of Jesus. In John 21, we find him on a boat. Now, it's not a luxury liner in the North Atlantic, just a small fishing boat on the Sea of Tiberias. And the boat itself is very stable. He's the one that's not. He's drowning in a, in a sea of shame and regret, probably playing that night over and over in his mind, asking himself, how could I have done that? Some of, you, some of you know the story. Peter makes that boast about being strong, independent, courageous, loyal, unsinkable in his devotion to Jesus. I got your back, man. I would, I would die for you before I would ever disown you. On that night that Jesus was arrested and led away to stand trial before the high priest Caiaphas, Peter follows from a distance, and he sits down there in Caiaphas' courtyard to warm himself by a charcoal fire. He's in a crowd of people, but he's trying to lay low. And someone recognizes him. Says, hey, you're, you're, one, you're, yeah, you're, you're, one of, you're one of his followers. And Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know that guy. Somebody else chimes in, yeah, I can tell by your accent, you're from Galilee. Yeah, you're definitely, I, I think I've seen you with him too. You're definitely one of his followers. He goes, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that guy. Third person says, yep, I'm, I'm confident of it. I saw you with him last week. You're, you're definitely one of his followers. And Peter begins to curse. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen that guy in my life. And a rooster crows. Luke 22 poignantly adds, and Jesus turned 
and looked at Peter. Man, imagine what that scene must have been like. Two close friends locking eyes. That feeling of worthlessness. Peter runs away, collapses in a pile of shame and just cries his heart out. The once proud, indestructible Peter is no longer bold, no longer committed, no longer courageous, not even close to being the kind of friend that will die for you. And now I'm guessing as he floats in this little boat, every time he closes his eyelids, he sees that moment. Standing around that fire, looking through the smoke, into the eyes of his best friend, Jesus. And he feels worthless. Can't get it out of his mind. And as he floats there on the water of shame and regret, he's just about to the bottom. Can anybody relate? Man, I can. I think all of us have floated in a boat called failure at one time or another. Some of you might be even riding in it right now. And you walk, here on East, walk in here on Easter weekend and you feel sunk, you feel deflated, you feel ashamed, you feel embarrassed, and you wonder, will I ever resurface again? I mean, honestly, some, some of you might be thinking, I've ruined everything. I mean, I, I destroyed my relationship with my spouse. I gambled away our savings. My, my addiction has cost me my career. My kids may never speak to me again. My folks will never trust me now. I betrayed my best friend. I posted something I shouldn't have and it really hurt somebody. I've really broken God's heart. How can I ever resurface from my failures and find renewed hope and purpose? Is there a way for me to rise above my embarrassment and my regret and my remorse and my sin and my guilt and my shame? Well, the good news of Easter is yes, there is. There is hope for everyone. Looking at the experience of Peter, I think there's at least three things that he does right. And the same three things that people need to do to resurface and, and find hope. The first one is this. He owned his stuff. He owned his stuff. He admitted it. He was broken by it. Look, look what he does. Matthew 26, verse 75. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. A couple of things here. It says he remembered the word Jesus had spoken. He stands there looking through that smoke of the fire and says, you know what? And he was right. I was wrong. I said I would never fall away. He said, I would. He was right. I was wrong. Have you discovered the amazing freedom in those three words? I was wrong. Proverbs chapter 28 from the Old Testament of the Bible, verse 13 says, a man or a woman who refuses to admit their mistakes can never be successful. But if they confess and forsake them, they get another chance. And that's what Peter does. He owns it. He admits his failure, was broken by it, and the once proud rock is reduced to a pile of rubble, and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. Now, I know it sounds counterintuitive, but brokenness is the pathway to healing and wholeness. That's where it all starts. The first words out of Jesus' mouth when he stands up to give this famous Sermon on the Mount, you can find it in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the busted. Blessed are the broken. 
Blessed are those who know their spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who will acknowledge that they really need God. I like what Vance Havner writes about this. says, God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. And it is Peter, weeping bitterly, who returns to greater power than ever. Because brokenness is the pathway to wholeness. Now, I've learned something over the years. There's a big difference between being broken and being miserable. If you're in recovery, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I, I was talking to a really sweet lady in the lobby one day after a church service, and she began to tell me about her 23-year-old son who was using and abusing drugs, and she told me all about the stuff he had done, the journey that he had been on, how he, how he came home. And when he came home, he just, he just cried and cried and cried. And then she went on to tell me how he continues to use and rob from her and lie and con and use again. And she began to cry and she said, my son is just so broken. And I hugged her and I gently said, ma'am, I hope he gets there, but your son is not broken. He's just miserable. You see, you can be sorry you got caught. You can be miserable that you're having to live with the consequences of what you did. Or you can just drop your pride. And you can drop the denial and you can humble yourself and be genuinely remorseful and ask the God of grace for help. When you do that, that's when hope starts to rise. And Peter does that. He owned his stuff. There's another thing Peter does. It's kind of subtle, kind of in between the lines, but it's so healthy and it's so wise. He stayed in the group. He stayed in the group. When we find him in the boat, he's not alone. It says in John chapter 21 that Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and a couple other disciples were with him on that boat. Peter says, you know what? I'm going fishing. And we do that, don't we? We return to what we knew best before we failed. And they say, we'll go with you. So the seven of them go out that night fishing and they catch nothing. But at least they were hanging together as good friends. In fact, right after Peter admitted his failure and went out and wept bitterly about it, we find him right back in the group. He's hiding out in an upper room with the rest of the guys. By the way, Jesus was right about all of them, that they all would shrink back. They all would fall away that night. And now Peter is back on the fishing team with his buddies because he knew they were all really in the same boat, so to speak. And you know what? So were we. I mean, didn't we all just raise our hands acknowledging that? It's amazing how most of us are like the rest of us. That's why I love places like Northside. No perfect people allowed. And if you think you are perfect, you really need to stick around because you're more screwed up than the rest of us. <laughs> but gang, it's a wonderfully freeing thing, a healing thing to surround yourself with humble people who know that they got failures too. They got a box too. Don't ever let failure isolate you. Stay in the group. There is such a contrast between Judas and Peter. Both betray Jesus. But Judas, in his shame, isolates himself, which leads to his death. Peter stays in a group, and it leads him to life. Stay in the group. A lot of people start to think, after what I've done, there's no way I can show my face around there again. No, you're wrong. We're all in the same boat. Stay 
in the group. Well, I got no place in a worship service after all the things that I've said and thought and done. No, no, stay in the group. Well, I'm, I'm too embarrassed. I'm too ashamed. No, stay in the group. Well, my friends won't accept me now. Well, then they're not your friends. Stay in the group. There's healing in the group. Ecclesiastes 4.10 reminds us if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But people who are alone when they fall, oh man, they're in real trouble. Because we all fall down, stay in the group. There's one more thing that Peter does right. And anyone who wants to resurface and find joy and hope and meaning in real life must do as well. He dove in and swam to Jesus. Here's the scene, one of the coolest scenes in the Bible to me. Peter's floating in this little fishing boat with his buddies about 100 yards offshore. It's around sunrise, and they can see this dimly lit figure on the shore building a breakfast fire. And the guy on the beach shouts out to them, hey, you guys caught any fish? Now, if you happen to wear like a Bass Pro Shop hat, you know that's not a great question to ask frustrated fishermen. And they go, oh, nope, not really. He says, throw, throw your net on the other side of the boat. They go, okay, they do. And the nets get so full, they start to break. And John remembers the same thing happening three years prior in the presence of Jesus. And John yells, it's, it's, it's the Lord. And before he can get Lord out of his mouth, Peter jumps overboard, starts swimming toward Jesus. And in jumping out of that boat, I think he was saying, man, I have thought about this long enough. I'm tired of feeling like this. I'm cold. I'm hungry. I'm miserable in my self-perceived uselessness. I am ready to let go of my failures. I want a second chance. I'm ready to leave my past behind. I'm just going to swim to Jesus. And I would love to have a picture painted of that scene where Peter's standing there ankle deep in the water, chest is heaving from swimming so frantically, water's dripping from his hair and his beard, standing there in front of a brand new charcoal fire, looking through the smoke this time to lock eyes with forgiveness. Let me remind you just whose eyes that Peter was looking into. He was looking into the eyes of a friend he had just betrayed just a few days earlier. He was looking into the eyes of a man whose forehead still bore the puncture marks from wearing a crown of thorns. Peter was looking into the eyes of a man whose hands and feet still bore reminders of the spikes that held him to a Roman cross. Peter is looking into the eyes of the one who died as a substitute for his sins and his failure. And on this beach, on this new day, through this new fire, he's looking into the hope-filled eyes of the resurrected Jesus. And as they lock eyes, Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know, you know I love you. You know how many times Jesus asked him that? Yeah, three times. The same number of times that Peter said, I don't know the guy. Three times he asked him that. And, and when Jesus asked him that, there, there's different Greek words used in the New Testament for love. And the godlike, unconditional love is called agape. You may have heard that term before. That's the word that Jesus uses when he first asked Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? And I love the humility of this. Peter doesn't come back with that. He comes back with the word phileo, which is a brotherly kind of love. In other words, Peter goes, nope, I ain't got that. 
I'm not going to make that same boastful claim again because you know I'm not capable of that kind of love yet. But I will love you like a brother. I will love you with all I got, as imperfect as I might be. But yes, you know. You know I love you, Lord. And Jesus says, well, if you love me, I want to use you to change this world. Peter, you might have flamed out and failed, but I died and I rose again so that those failures could be forgiven and forgotten. And Peter, you need to know something. I still believe in you. And with those words, Peter resurfaces. And this colossal failure becomes one of the greatest success stories in the history of mankind. With incredible courage and humility, he helps launch the church of Jesus Christ all around the world so everyone could hear about the love of God. This guy who thought that God was through with him goes on to become one of the biggest difference makers who ever walked this planet. Northside is here today because of guys like him. Check out this scripture, 1 Peter says, Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. Did you catch who wrote that? Yeah, this old fisherman named Peter who dove in and swam to Jesus, who looked in the eyes of forgiveness and looked in the eyes of mercy, who looked in the eyes of the God of second chances. And like me and like so many of you, he looked in the eyes of hope. There's a lot of things in life that are overrated. Hope's not one of them. Hope's not one of them. And I just think that Jesus may be trying to say to you on this Easter weekend, there's, there's hope for you. You may not believe in me, but I believe in you. You may have given up on me, but I have not given up on you. And by the way, get rid of that stupid box. Don't let your failures define your life. Let my love do that. You know, today could be the most significant day in your life. Jesus went to a cross to do for you and me what we could not do for ourselves, to rescue us from our sin and make us right with God. Jesus didn't just die for us, he died instead of us. And through his death and his resurrection from the dead, he invites you and me to live forever. And today on this Easter weekend, you could accept that invitation and follow him into a new life. We've been doing baptisms all, all weekend. And baptism is a, is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It symbolizes this, this new life. In humility, we just come and we own our stuff. We come in our brokenness, we come in our remorse, and we say, I wanna be forgiven. I wanna be free. I wanna follow you. I wanna let your better wisdom and your deeper love lead my life. And baptism is, isn't one of those things where you say, yeah, I'm thinking about that, but I'm not, I'm not good enough yet. You're never going to get there. It's the beginning of surrender to saying, you know what, I'm coming to you, I'm a mess. I'm just coming to you as I am, and I know you know who I am. I'm just coming to you in my brokenness and humility and saying, would you just save my life? Would you wash away my sin and my failure? 
Would you give me eternal life? Is that for me too? Could you flood me with hope? And I invite you to do that today. We've been doing that with people all weekend long and it's been a blast. And I know some of you came prepared to do that on, on Easter weekend. But I'm just guessing a bunch of you did not come prepared to do that. But you know that God is stirring in your heart. And he's saying today's your day. Come on. It's time for you to literally dive in and swim to Jesus. Just own your stuff. Come to him. Let him help you resurface in your life. Let him give you power and healing and life. So sometimes we, we throw out an invitation like this. You get thinking, yeah, I, maybe, but like I, I, didn't, I didn't bring a towel. We got towels. Yeah, but I don't have a change of clothes. We got t-shirts, we got shorts. Every, well, you don't have a hair dryer. You're not getting any sympathy from me on that one. I'm just telling you. We got everything you need. So why not in just a few moments as we stand and say, why don't you just turn to somebody and say, here, man, take my phone. Here's my watch. Here's my glasses. Here's my keys. I, I'm diving in. I'm diving in. I'm going to pray in just a moment. We're going to worship together. And as we sing, at any time while we're singing, just make your way down front. And someone will meet you there. And we'll get you ready to, to be baptized. Then we're going to celebrate new life together today. When we stand up together, let me pray. And then we'll do all that. Um, Father, thank you so much for your plan that you desired a relationship with us so much that you made the first move, that you came looking for us. Jesus, the eternal word, you became flesh and you moved into the neighborhood and you experienced everything that we experience, but you stayed true to your mission and you took your sinless life to a cross so we wouldn't have to die. And you rose from the dead so we could follow you into eternal life. Thank you that death has been crushed for us. There's nothing we fear any longer because we know it's just a, it's just a pathway to you. It's like, it's, it's like you, you know, kicked the end out of the tomb and made it a tunnel. It's from life to life. So grateful. Thank you for what this day represents. And Father, I pray that you would stir in our hearts right now. I pray, God, that, that somebody here would humble themselves enough to say, I think God's speaking to me. I think I need to make this move today. Father, I pray that you'd stir in all of our hearts. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.